as uh, the video showed this morning, and as Bobby so eloquently mentioned in his prayers, this is Memorial Day, and it is more than barbecues and picnics. We remember those who gave their lives without glorifying war or death. We remember that their services benefited others, not only here in America, but in places around the world, as is attested to by the beautiful cemeteries that you will find in France of some of our servicemen and women from World War II. Their lives exemplify service, and we seem as a people to understand service in the context of the military or our policemen or sheriff's deputies. We understand service and sacrifice in terms of our firefighters and first responders, but we sometimes forget that as Christians, each and every one of us is called to a life of service and sacrifice. Service and sacrifice for God, for our families, for our church, for our community, and most of all, for our neighbors. Service and sacrifice for our neighbors in the name of Jesus Christ. The sermon series we're in the middle of right now is called On Fire because it began on Pentecost Sunday last week and the symbol, one of the symbols for the Holy Spirit is fire and we talked about that a little bit last week. This reminds us that the Holy Spirit was not a one-time visitor, that the Holy Spirit is with us here in this place and even the rain outside cannot put out the fire of the Holy Spirit in this place today. We recalled last week how the Holy Spirit fell down upon the apostles in tongues of fire and a roaring wind, and they were empowered to speak in many languages because at that time during the festival of weeks, Jerusalem was filled with Jews from all over the Middle Eastern regions who had returned to Jerusalem after the dispersion of Jews, and they came there and gathered, but they didn't all speak a common language. So God empowered those first apostles so that everyone who was visiting could hear God's word. We talked a little bit about how we're a little bit less comfortable with the Holy Spirit than the Father and the Son, because we, are, we live in an enlightened age, and sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Ghost, and ghosts, ghosts are a little bit out there, and sometimes we're not as comfortable with this third person of the Holy Trinity. And on a Sunday that is celebrated in the church as Trinity Sunday, it is important for us to remember that our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is the Spirit today who is the constant presence, the constant influence, and the one who sanctifies and sustains us as we journey along on our Christian path. But today we're going to turn our focus from how this Holy Spirit came to why he came. And the answer to that question was in the scripture that Bobby read to us a little earlier. Why did we receive the fire? Why did God breathe the breath of God on us? Why are we baptized with that Holy Spirit? And it's for a holy purpose. 
And I'm not going to read the entire scripture, but I'm going to read the last verse of it because Jesus summed it up quite nicely just before he ascended into heaven as it was recorded in Acts. And he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I'm going to suggest to you before the morning is over that we have our own Jerusalem, our own Judea, our own Samaria, and the ends of the earth still needs to learn about the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus said to us, we were to make disciples of all the nations, not just the nation whose fallen we remember today, but all of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything that Jesus commanded us. Everything that he commanded us, and we know what those commands are because those commands are found in our book, in much of the red-letter writing that you find in the Gospels and Acts and Revelation. Our United Methodist denomination recognizes this mission of the church to be witnesses. In a discussion of the mission of the church, not just the United Methodist Church, but the Universal Church, this is what our Book of Discipline says. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world by proclaiming the good news of God's grace and by exemplifying Jesus' command to love God and neighbor. By exemplifying Jesus' command to love God and neighbor. Not just repeating his command, but exemplifying his command. So why did the Holy Spirit come? It should be clear by now. To empower the disciples to serve. To strengthen the Christian community. And to make the church greater than the sum of its parts. I encourage you in the week ahead, and if you get the growth guide, the growth guide is going to guide you to do this, to read the book of Acts. I'm not going to put the whole book in the growth guide, but it is a wonderful book about how the church really spread so dramatically in those early years. There are some, there's at least one writer who said that perhaps the book should have been named The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because throughout the book, we see how the Holy Spirit inspired and empowered this motley band of disciples that numbered very few when you think about how far their reach was. This small group of men and women carried the word of Jesus Christ to Rome, to Greece, to Ethiopia, and to other places. And they did it without TV, without Facebook, without Twitter, without cars, without planes, without the internet, and without the printing press. So what enabled them to do that, or who? The Holy Spirit. And that's why we've been focused on the Holy Spirit the last couple of weeks. But you know, last week when we read the scriptures, we read up to the point where we learned that the apostles had been given the gift of speaking in a variety of languages. And I explained to you it was because there were many Jews in Jerusalem who spoke other languages. But in the passage that follows the one we read last week, 
there's a little bit of information and teaching that we need to understand about who is empowered and the reaction to that empowerment. So I'm going to read to you this morning just a little bit beyond where we read last week from Acts 2. I'm going to begin at uh, verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, that was the sound of the roaring wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. There's two things in that passage that are really important for us to understand. The first is the attitude that aren't all these who are speaking Galileans like there was something wrong with Galileans? I mean, the people from Galilee were considered kind of lowly. They were country folk. They spoke with a funny accent. Remember how Peter was recognized on the night that Jesus was arrested because he had a Galilean accent? They were generally poor. Mary was from Galilee, and she was gentle. They were not as educated as the Sadducees and the Pharisees. But don't think for a minute that the Holy Spirit only comes upon the poor, the uneducated, or those who speak with funny accents. Because we know that later in the book of Acts, after Jesus spoke to him, the Holy Spirit fell upon a man named Saul in a powerful way. He was murderous. He was a Pharisee. He was educated. He persecuted Christians. He was fairly wealthy. And the Holy Spirit fell on him too. And the lesson in this for us is we should not make assumptions about the kind of people to whom God sends the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, there was the reaction of the people in the crowd. They said, they must have had too much wine. And how like human beings is that? When something happens that we can't understand, we defend our lack of understanding by making fun or ridicule. And that is something that we can still experience today as Christians. If we stand on the Bible, we stand on the faith, we stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we share it, and we talk to people about being empowered by the Holy Spirit, they may not say we've had too much wine, but they may say that we're kind of a little backward. Not quite with it. Not modern. You see... There are too many people in the world today who will not believe what science cannot explain. Therefore, the virgin birth is too much for them. Therefore, the resurrection is too much for them. Therefore, the idea of Holy Spirit taking some broken down person and turning them into a person who has a voice with courage for Jesus Christ is beyond their understanding. And so what they don't understand and cannot grasp, they ridicule. And we are called to stand up 
in the face of such ridicule. We are called, as Jesus said in his last words before he went to heaven in Acts, to be witnesses. But sometimes we make a mistake about our witnessing. And I want to talk with you today about it because we have a vast congregation that's gifted in many different ways. And sometimes when we've been blessed with a particular gift, we get focused on the gift we have and we think that's the only gift. And this aligns with the fact that the way we witness happens in different ways. And we, we need to take the whole body of the way we witness with the whole body's gifts if we really want to reach all the nations and all the people. The first way of witnessing, we have some people in this congregation who are amazingly wonderful at evangelizing. They have the spiritual gift of evangelism. I wish I had their gift to their degree. I do. They will share the good news with strangers. They have no fear or timidity. It is a wonderful way to introduce people to Jesus Christ. But on the other side of that coin, sometimes when we are so focused on bringing people to the altar to say, Jesus, forgive my sins, I accept you as my Lord, we forget that there's discipling that's supposed to happen afterwards. Sometimes in our zeal to bring people to that conversion moment, we can forget that there is a whole lifetime of sanctification in grow and growing in Christ and in discipleship that is also to be the work of the church. There are some who have great spiritual gifts of faith. They exude faith. Their presence exude contentment and peace no matter what their circumstances are. Others want to know what they have. Others want a piece of whatever it is that makes them so peaceful. And others are moved to follow their example. But sometimes people with that gift of great faith, sometimes they're passive. They're quiet about their faith. It's very internal. So they wait for people to come to them. And for that group of people, I encourage you to remember that sometimes people won't ask. Sometimes we have to offer why we are so at peace, why we are so serene, why we have such faith. And then there's a group of people who want to go, 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 do, do, do. They exude social holiness, the social gospel. They want to serve the physical needs of their neighbors. They want to earn their trust and provide for needs of people who live in poverty, who are lonely, who are vulnerable. And the danger for that group of people is we can become a charity without being the church. And so my suggestion to you today is that we need all these forms of witness. John Wesley wrote a sermon about the Sermon on the Mount. It's called Sermon on the Mount Discourse 4. It's very descriptive. It's about the, um, the piece of text that talks about being salt and light. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that next week. But what John Wesley was bemoaning in that sermon was the fact that too many Christians have an internal relationship with God 
And that internal relationship is their sole focus, and they recognize and worship Jesus the divine and forget about Jesus the servant who said, do for others what I have just done for you after he washed the feet of his disciple. On the other end of the coin, John Wesley bemoaned the fact that were those, there were those who thought they had to earn their way to salvation, that their good works were earn up points in heaven for them. We are not a works righteous people. Understand we are righteous only because we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is we don't stop there. It doesn't mean we shouldn't do any works, but because we have that faith, because we are saved by grace, Love and caring and concern that involves the social gospel should flow from us to bless those who need to be blessed. And as a church, we have to find a balance between personal evangelism and the social gospel. Nowhere was that more apparent to me than this last school year with our Jumpstart ministry. And you've heard us talk about it before. But friends, I'm telling you, we did not start out with ministry with those children. We started out with academics. We started out tutoring them, feeding them, and playing games with them till they got to know us. These kids, most of them, not all of them, had academic issues. Most of them lived in poverty. Most of them, when they first came to us, spoke with deplorable language. I'm pretty sure God was going like this and saying, Pastor Pam, do something about this. I don't like hearing those words in my house. And we did something about it. And by the end of the semester, their grades got better. Their language got way better. Ten of them chose voluntarily to go on a retreat that was religious in focus and faith-based with our middle schoolers where they prayed, where they worshiped, where they had meals together, where they experienced things in a natural environment and went to a petting zoo, things some of these children had never done. Some of them began coming to our student ministry on Sunday night. And our high school students, some of whom you watched graduate last week, grew in discipleship, grew in grace, grew in patience, and I'll tell you, so did the adult supervisors who worked with the high schoolers and the junior high schoolers. Two of them are sitting right there, and they're shaking their heads. And they're shaking their heads happily, not like the first couple nights of that ministry. But the thing that I'll take away from that ministry that I will never forget, that early in the semester, Allison or I would pray before the meal, then we began to ask the high schoolers to volunteer, and they prayed. But at the end of the semester, the last few weeks, we asked the middle school kids if any of them would pray. And while I will tell you in many ways he's still a little stinker, one boy, probably the most difficult boy that we had, twice volunteered to pray. And he didn't have anything written down, and I will tell you he prayed Prayers as perfect as any prayers I have ever heard prayed. But we fed them first, and we helped them with homework first. Then we introduced ministry. And you know what? 
During the middle of the semester, some of those kids who we came to know and love, suddenly they didn't come anymore. Their families moved. We didn't even get to say goodbye. We will never know what will be reaped from the seeds that we sowed. And that's how it goes sometimes when we witness. Together, the personal and social gospel allow us to reach more people, serve spiritual and physical needs. It helps existing disciples to grow. It gives us an opportunity to demonstrate our gratitude, and it gives us an opportunity to pour out the grace that's been poured out on us. So where is our fire burning here at St. Paul? Well, I think we could say that our Jerusalem is Largo and Clearwater. We feed people through open arms. We make toys that we give to first responders, to give to children in traumatic situations. Our school partnerships like Jumpstart and the Back to School Jubilee help children here in our community. We do a Wednesday worship service at the Palms of Largo, where people who can't get to church are able to celebrate Holy Communion. We feed homeless people on Sunday afternoon, many of whom are veterans, like the ones we remember today. Our United Methodist women have ministries locally that deal with human trafficking, that deal with the pregnancy center. So we are witnessing for Jesus Christ here in our Jerusalem. Regionally, in our Judea, Tampa Bay and Florida, again, open arms reaches, reaches way beyond this campus. We feed people, some in Tampa, we feed people in Lealman, we distribute food to four other churches. Our Hurricane Irma mission team is going to go to Collier County to help people who are still trying to recover. And that team is going from July 8th to the 14th, and there's still spaces if you want to go. And the ends of the earth, well, we support Carolyn Goodwin, God bless her, in Africa. And our prayer shawls, you know, they're not just here locally. Plenty of them here locally, but I'll bet you there's one of them with Carolyn Goodwin in Africa. Our prayer shawls go to the end of the earth. And through our gift of apportionments to the United Methodist Church, we support missions and ministries in the world that no church could support alone. So what did I leave out? I left out Samaria. Because Samaria was a special place that Jesus said the disciples needed to witness in. See, it was the place where Jews didn't really like the folks who lived in Samaria. They were looked down on. They were looked as lesser than. They were in a different place, but Jesus made it a point on his way to Jerusalem to pass through Samaria. And I would suggest to you that when we open the campus on Druid Road, part of the reason for that is because we are trying to go to a new place with new people, some of whom may make us uncomfortable, and that is our Samaria, and we ought to be really fired up about it. We have hundreds and thousands of people who live in the Tampa Bay area who don't have a church to go to for lack of a pastor who can preach in Spanish. That Druid campus is going to be the new home for open arms where we're going to serve lots of people. And it's going to be the home for the toy making ministry that's going to serve lots of people. But ultimately, our goal and our desire is to create one of the very few successful campuses 
where a Hispanic congregation can grow and be blessed by a community that's already established. And that is a good thing. It's not a political thing. It's not a bad thing. It is our Samaria, and we need to welcome our new brothers and sisters who we will meet there, remembering these words, be my witnesses in Samaria. Today is Memorial Day weekend. We remember men and women who sacrificed. And those men and women, and I know because I was in the army, they were brown and they were white and they were black and they were red and they were yellow. And some didn't speak English very well. Some died. Some lost limbs. Some have debilitating injuries. Some suffer from PTSD like some of the folks we feed on Sunday. And some carry the ticking time bomb of disease within them from chemicals that they were exposed to. And they suffered those things for us, so we ought to make it worth it by remembering the one who sacrificed first, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who died for us. The sacrifice of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marine, and coast guardsmen are in the tradition of Christ's sacrifice. Not equal to, but in the tradition of. They were not all Christians. But what they did, and what we should remember, is they made a down payment for us to live in a free country where we can, easier than most, follow God's command, follow Christ's words, be my witnesses. God bless them for enabling us to do that in safety. It was a down payment, not a guarantee that we would choose as free people to use the freedom from sin and death that we have in Christ to become his witnesses in Largo and Clearwater and Tampa Bay on our Druid Road campus in Florida at the children's home and to the ends of the earth. Christ's sacrifice for you and me as we remember the fallen on Memorial Day. Let's remember that Christ's sacrifice came first. Let us remember that though he fell, he rose again in final victory so that we could be saved, so that we could become his witnesses here at our new campus and to the ends of the earth.